What's up, y'all? It's Kavya, and welcome back to the 26th episode of Women on the Mic. Today, I'm so excited to be joined with American saber fencer and Olympic bronze medalist, Monica Examit. Thank you so much, Monica, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I know this year has been such a crazy one, but how have your holidays been so far? Um, they're okay. Uh, it's been a rough year, so... We actually had a death in the family. My grandpa passed away in July, so this was the first Christmas without him. So that w- that kind of sucked. And my mom, my grandma had was diagnosed with breast cancer in January. So we forced my mom, or like not really forced, but like we pushed her that she should go and fly out to Poland because that's where all my family is to be with our grandma. It's her first Christmas alone. So it was just my sister and I. But I mean, you know, it is what it is. Some people aren't are completely alone for the holidays. So I'm grateful for what I have. It's just another year. For sure. Um, 2021, hoping for a better, better year, better things. Um, but, you know, I'd like yeah. to get started and talk about your journey fencing. So, you know, I don't think a lot of young kids pick up swords and start running around. How, how'd you get into fencing? So it's actually funny because I just did an episode for my podcast about this because it's one of the most common questions mm-hmm. since fencing is such a niche sport and so uncommon which it's already more common than it used to be when I was a kid growing up. But the summary of the whole thing is basically that my first fencing coach was a client in my mom's bank and he would be in there just always having a conversation. And he talked about fencing and how it's, it's a great scholarship sport because again, it was a little bit smaller of a sport back then than it is now. And I was going to polar school at the time. So she'd be able to drop me off for like an additional hour because it was in the same building and I was like eight or nine years old. They brought me into my first practice. They handed me a weapon. They told me to hit another kid. They said I did a great job. And I mean, what kids, I mean, it's every kid's dream, right? To be able to hit people and not get in trouble. So I was sold. I mean, you've been doing this for a while and at a high level as well. What about fencing has made you want to continue it, um, you know, throughout your life? It's, um, it's something that's, you're never going to be the best at it. Like it's constantly evolving. The rules change. Uh, I mean, the way people fence at the age of like 16, if I was 16 right now, I don't know if I'd be winning tournaments and doing as well as I was back then, because it's like, it's just, it's like I said, it's just constantly evolving sport and everybody's getting better and better nonstop. So it's always challenging. And it's really cool because there's no, there's no certain body type. Like for basketball, you have to be tall, right? Um, for football, you got to be fast or you got to be big. Mm-hmm. Volleyball, you got to be tall. For fencing, it doesn't matter. It's very mental. So you're going to have strengths and weaknesses and you have to be able to use them. And everybody's are different. So it doesn't matter who I stand like aside or across from, they're going to have different strengths and weaknesses. And I have to figure them out and use mine against theirs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was on your podcast or on your YouTube channel somewhere, you mentioned that, you know, you really like individual sports versus team sports. Um, And I think a lot of that is like the mental aspect of being the only one there. What would you say is like the most important thing you do to get ready mentally to fence? So before every single match, I will tell myself, and it changes like throughout the years, obviously like things I've been able to add on, but I say I'm Monica fucking examit. I've, I have an Olympic bronze medal. I've beaten a majority of people in this room at one point or another. Uh, I've been preparing. I'm ready. I feel ready. I'm here. 
let's kill some bitches. And that's literally what I say to myself. <laughs> it's always important to be as confident in yourself as you can, right? Like there's things that are going to be trying to put you down, but so putting yourself in that headspace prepares you for these different situations. When did you realize like you wanted to take fencing to the next level, like college and then, you know, Olympics? Um, it was kind of always assumed that I'd be doing it in college. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like, what was like the deciding factor for my mom, uh, when I loved it. Yeah. And I mean, I loved yeah. it literally from day one. I was like, this is my sport. This is what I want to do. Like in school, when people said like, who are you? Or like, we have to fill up these books out. I would say I'm a fencer. And that's kind of like something that always stuck to my mom. She always repeats it to me. So I loved it. And I, I always wanted to be the best at it, but I decided that I wanted to be an Olympian in when I watched the Olympics in 2004 in Athens, Greece, where my Rio teammate, Mario Zagunas, won the gold medal for the first time in history in women's saber ever. Um, that was the first time my specific division, whatever you want to call it, weapon was added into the Olympics. So when I watched that on my grandparents' couch in Poland, I was like, this is what I want to be doing. I also want to go in Olympics. That's so cool. And, you know, you talk about some of the uh, fun experiences you've had in the Olympics on your first podcast episode uh, called On the Fence. If you want to plug your podcast. You can- yeah. So I was uh, when I was designing my own podcast, um, I, you know, you kind of want to think of the episode that people would would want to be listening to. And whenever I tell anyone if that I'm an Olympian, the first thing they're like, what's the Olympic village like? Like all the stories that we hear, are they true? So I had to launch with my episode about um, Olympic Village life. Yeah. And I mean, besides Olympic Village, one thing I think all Olympians look forward to and document is walking through the opening ceremony. What was that like, just that moment, just walking with Team USA in Rio? It was amazing. Um, I I actually um, wasn't allowed to be walking in the opening ceremonies because I was an alternate heading into the Olympics which that's a whole, like, at the Olympics, they actually change a lot of rules. Normally at World Cups, the top four is the actual team. At the Olympics, for whatever reason, I don't know why they do this, it's only the top three that are considered Olympians until the fourth person gets a fence. So I was technically an an alternate until the day of competition, and they put me out. So I wasn't supposed to walk in opening ceremonies, but I snuck out there because who wouldn't do that? Um, But it's amazing. I mean, it's the biggest stadium that I have ever been been in, everybody's I mean the whole process of getting to the um, actual venue is like you're driving there for an hour you're walking through like do you really walk like three or four miles like because they have you like corralled with all the different teams you're waiting in like a holding cell for like three it was a process so once you actually get out there and everybody's chanting USA and I mean I was walking like two feet away from Michael Phelps at most three feet. And I mean, you're amongst literally like the world's greatest athletes in general, like period, because from all over the world, once you walk into the stadium, literally everybody is in, in this giant room. I mean, I was in tears the entire time and it was really cool as well afterwards because I was, because I was so close to Phelps. I was on all the cameras, (laughs) like all the cameras were, I, I was everywhere and I was getting, when I got back on into the, the bus or even the village, I don't remember, I was bombarded with messages from all people of like, oh my God, I just saw it opening ceremonies. This is so crazy. Or like they were sending me videos or photos. I mean, it, it was an incredible once in a lifetime experience. Well, hopefully not once in a lifetime, but yeah, 
up, up until this point, once in life. You have like Michael Phelps and all the amazing people at the Olympics. I know on your TikTok, you have like a little segment where you talk about the coolest people you meet. Um, for people who, you know, haven't followed you or haven't seen those videos, who are like a few of the coolest people you've met, whether that be at the Olympics or outside, just um, overall just legends? Honestly, I didn't realize how many amazing, incredible, inspiring people or people that like we watch on the big screens I've met until like I made a list and I was going like thinking, I didn't even finish making those videos really? because I have so many of them. Um, so people that like everybody would know would be Matthew McConaughey. He actually introduced himself to me on a red carpet, which was just yeah, I think I saw like, that. That's insane. what are you doing? Why are you introducing yourself to me? I know who you are. So he's one of them. I met, met Dave Chappelle. I met Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner. Um, who else did I met, meet that was really huge? Kristen Bell, um, Paul George at the Olympics, uh, Michael Phelps at the Olympics, Kitty Ledecky at the Olympics, um, Jimmy Kimmel. Wow. So many people. I mean, I went, to, I went to the Emmys and I went to a whole bunch of Hollywood parties. So Chase Crawford from Gossip Girl. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, like like you said, looking back, it's probably crazy to think how many awesome people you've met and um, the experiences you've had. It's still surreal to this day, like watching movies. And I'm friends with Alfie Allen, who's um, Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. I don't know if you've seen Game of Thrones, but I'm, again, I'm friends with him. And then he like randomly appeared on a movie when I was on the plane. I was like, oh, <laughs> just my friend on this. My friend is in this movie. No big deal. Like what? Yeah. It's so weird to me. It's like, I don't know. People are like, oh, you're famous or whatever. I'm, I don't look at myself that way. I'm just a regular person that worked their butt off or something. So like these experiences to me are always just like, how did I get here? <laughs> Why is this person speaking to me? What is going on? Um, you know, like I said, this year has been a, a difficult one, a, a very unique one for sure. And a lot of gyms have closed, tournaments canceled, um, Olympics postponed. Um, first of all, like when you heard about the Olympics being postponed, like what was going through your mind? Uh, I knew they were going to be postponed. I wasn't surprised. Yeah. I was actually um, stranded in Europe during quarantine uh, when it first hit because we were supposed to have a training camp. We were supposed to have our two World Cups that count for the Olympics. And... Uh, once I just saw how, it, how everything was happening and how the world was reacting, I was like, there's no way that we can have an Olympics. Like, this is crazy. They're going to be postponed. So I did a few interviews because I'm, like I said, I'm Polish. Mm -hmm. So I guess a bunch of Polish, um, journalists follow me on Instagram. I don't know. So I announced, like I said, like that I'm stranded. The bunch of people contacted me and they're like, Hey, can we interview you for like po the Poland's newspaper or whatever? And that was one of the questions of like, do you think the Olympics are going to be postponed? I was like, absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind. So when it was officially announced, it was kind of like, finally we're admitting it. Like this is a big thing. And they're like, I don't know. I couldn't train at that point. Like when I came back to the States, my coach, um, like I said, I talked about it in one of my episodes. Um, I, I came back and my coach had this like zoom workout or fencing class. And it's just not the same. You need another person and again, I just knew it wasn't happening. And my, my mental health just, it was just a lot. Like I I've, I've, was prepared. I knew I was qualifying. I did everything I had to do. I was ready. And then all of a sudden they're like, just kidding. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you were actually came into the Olympics as an alternate. What was that? So like, how did you end up competing um, at the Olympics then? Well, so like I said, it's a, it's for normally at World Cups, you kind of move people around tactically. Um, 
there's different people that mesh that match really well or not well against each other. Like there's people that I know I'm a better fencer than them, but there were so different that their strengths are just like perfectly matched against my strengths. Like I watched them. I'm like, this person doesn't do anything exceptional, but because we're just so different in our body types and everything that I'll never be like, okay, so she's a shorter girl and I'm six feet tall. I'm never going to be able to be as fast as her. I will never be able to change direction as fast as her. And that just works so much against me. Um, so for example, like in a team event, I never want to fence her because I'm just not going to do well against her. And I know that because I've learned. So for tactical reasons, like in World Cups, we kind of change people around or obviously for injuries. And for whatever reason, like I said, the Olympics have decided years ago that it's going to be three on three and this fourth person is an alternate thing. A lot of rules actually changed for Rio. So I was very lucky. They used to not give the alternates any, any equipment unless they competed which sucks because I mean, team processing is an amazing experience. One of the best days of my life. Um, but we kind of, luckily the two head coaches from my team and from the, from Italy, both decided that the alternates are kind of going to decide the faith of the team and who is going to win the medal. So we was for the bronze medal, the fa- the final match. And we both went out the both alternates and I, or me and the Italian alternate both went out at the same time. And we fenced luckily, USA had a lead because I, I was doing great in the beginning, but when I, I will never be able to explain to you the amount of pressure that I felt. It literally felt as if someone came up and just like grabbed my throat and I had nothing to breathe with because one of my, my cores disconnected. So otherwise my plan was like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to win. I'm not going to think about anything and I'm going to get off the strip as fast as possible. But when the cord broke, I had time to digest of what was going on. And I remember looking around me like, oh my God. Then this felt like an hour for me. I was like, oh my God, I'm at the Olympics. <gasps> what if I mess up? Everybody's watching me. I'm going to blow the lead. I probably won't be allowed back in the country. I won't be able to fence ever again. So I like froze completely. It was a train wreck. And, but then I, all I need is one more point And then I got my shit together and I scored the last touch. Thank God. But that was a lot. Awesome. I think, you know, dealing with pressure is something like a lot of people, not just athletes have to deal with, but what's your advice for people who, you know, have a hard time dealing with pressure or, um, you know, they lack confidence in situations filled with pressure. Like what would, what advice would you give them? Um, against pressure. That one's difficult because I have been an athlete my entire life that I just, I thrive under pressure. Um, but I would say a lot of the pressure that you do feel is placed upon yourself. Um, if you think, I mean, most people are going to be wishing against you. Right. So it's, and and a lot of people actually don't expect things from you the way that you think they do. Like most of the pressure that you're feeling is from yourself. Um, I mean, there's been times where my coach was like, listen, like all I want you to do is have fun, like win or lose. I don't care. Like you work your ass off. And I know, I know you want to go out there and win, but like, I want you to enjoy yourself. Uh, and I'm like, no, I have to win. And he's like, okay, but just like, don't look at that. Like you can just have fun. So again, just take that second to think about it of you're the one putting all this pressure on yourself. And as long as you prepare and you do what you have to do, I mean, there's, there's, there's also so much that we have control over, right? There's, there's so many outside factors. So just focus on what you can control. And, and after that, whatever happens, happens. That's really all that you can do. You know, on this podcast, I really like 
you know, talking about women's stories and using that to just empower other young women, not just in sport, but just outside as well. Um, you know, so many young women look up to you and your teammates. When you were young or even right now, like who are some of the women that you looked up to as inspirations? Um, to be honest, I really looked up to my mom. My mom's kind of, my mom's been through a lot of different things. Um, she immigrated from America. She came here to, to the States and figured life out. She worked at a bar in the beginning. She was babysitting. Um, she put off college. She had me. Then while since she had my sister, she started a business. She finished college. She had to battle cancer. She went through a lot and she raised us as a single mother. So, I mean, watching her always, um, she also always told me that like, she wants me to be successful. She never wants me to rely on a man. For example, she's like, I don't want you having to marry somebody with money to exist. She's like, I want you to have your own money and I want you to be successful on your own without anybody else. So that's somebody I really always looked up to. You know, Kobe Bryant said it best. He said, you know, sports is, there's like no greater metaphor for life than sports itself. How would you say like fencing has helped you grow as a person outside of fencing, just um, in life in general? I don't even know what I would be if it wasn't for fencing. I think about that on a, on a regular basis. I mean, I've been able, I've traveled to 35 different countries, not all through fencing. Some of them have been aside from that, but most of them have been because of fencing. I wouldn't know that I love traveling and exploring the world and meeting people, experiencing new cultures if it wasn't for fencing, because that's why in the beginning I was traveling. Um, I mean, I've met amazing people. Most of my friends are fencing related, so I wouldn't have them in my life. Fencing teaches you about being decisive, like even driving purposes. Like I, I make a decision, I stick by it. And that's like quick re reflexes, time management. I mean, I had a full ride to university thanks to fencing. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling of everything that's, that it's given me. And I, like I said, I can't even imagine who I would be without it. Taking a step away from fencing for a second, who are the artists on your pregame playlist? We have to go back to that. I haven't heard this playlist <laughs> since January, which is crazy That's to me because I would hear this like every week yeah. or every whatever, every couple of days. So, and I can't hear these songs if I'm not competing. I all of a sudden get all this adrenaline. <laughs> I think I'm gonna cry the first time I, I play this playlist. Definitely Drake, that makes sense. Yeah. I have Drake, Kendrick Lamar, Lil Wayne, Post Malone, and NF. That's the, that's the majority of the playlist. Yeah, that's, that's valid. I respect that. Um, yeah, but last question I have for you. Firstly, just thank you for taking the time and talking with me. I just love talking with you and um, you're so inspiring. But last question is, I ask this to all the women I interview. What do you think is the most important thing that we teach young girls today? I think we should be teaching more girls about this, but I think now is a time where we have started to more. Um, standing up for yourself and being a bitch are two different things. I think women are often very afraid to stand up for themselves just because we've been taught for years to not have a voice and to not like that our opinions are invalid and that we're weaker and like, for example, in the office of how different women speak 
and how different men speak, like how much more often women will apologize or they'll say like, oh, that's, you know, only in my opinion. Um, and I think that's something that is changing slowly and I wish it could change a little bit faster. And I just hope that everybody's teaching their, their daughters that because I think that's super important. I think that we shouldn't be afraid to speak up or say our minds because I mean, why, why are we any, any less worthy? True. I love that. Well, thank you so much again for joining me and it was so awesome to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. This was really fun. I always enjoy these things. I get asked questions that I, you know, I don't get to think of on a daily basis. And if any of my experiences can help other people, I'm always really happy to share them. Yeah. And everyone, you know, go check out her podcast or TikTok. I just love listening to your stories um, and just hearing your real conversations. It's so awesome.